This is Carson Edwards from the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to the Boiler Breakdown Podcast, hosted by Tanner Lee, Evan Webb, and Andrew Eiler. Here's the staff, the placement, and the boot. It is up! It is good! It's good! It's good! It's good! Four seconds to go! Travis Dorch has the monkey off his back! Purdue, East Michigan, 32-31. It is Tuesday, August 25th, 2020, and you're listening to another edition of the Boiler Breakdown Podcast. I'm Tanner Lee, along with Evan Webb. And we're really excited to be bringing a special guest along with us tonight. That's Purdue place kicker and punter from two, from 1998 to 2001. The all-time career scoring points leader with 355. Career field goal leader with 69. Career punt average with 48.4. The only Purdue athlete to have kicked a field goal, threw a touchdown, hit a home run, and record a win as a pitcher. The 2001 Ray Guy Award winner. All-American punter, Travis Dorsch. Travis, thanks for joining us this evening. All of that seems like it was so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just a couple of the accolades I have written down. I mean, you had a brilliant career as a football player for the Boilermakers, um, which we will get into in a little bit. But uh, where are you coming from this evening, and what are you up to nowadays? Yeah, I'm actually I'm hiding in our basement. It's uh, it's bedtime. I'm out here in in Utah, and uh, my wife and my in-laws are – uh, are helping me out tonight by getting the kiddos to bed. So happy to be joining you uh, back on the, on the East Coast and uh, looking forward to our chat. Yes. Uh, so you are in Utah. What do you do now as a profession? Yeah, so I'm an uh, associate professor at Utah State University, uh, and I'm the founding director of the Families and Sport Lab. So uh, you know, I teach classes here at the university, and uh, we do a lot of research in the youth sports space, uh, looking at family relationships, parent-child relationships, coach-athlete relationships, and just trying to make youth sport, a better place for that next generation coming up. Very, very neat. What, what was your major at Purdue? I was a developmental psychology major, and then I actually stayed at Purdue and did my master's and PhD both in kinesiology with an emphasis on sport and exercise psychology. Wow. Very impressive. Very impressive. So you're originally from Montana. Why Purdue? <laughs> you know, nobody's going to get that information anymore. You'd have to ask Coach Tiller, and uh, sadly, he's not around to say. But, uh, you know, I think uh, Coach Tiller played at Montana State University, which is in Bozeman, where I'm from, and uh, obviously coached uh, for a bit at Wyoming. Uh, so he he knew the Rocky Mountain region well, and uh, it wasn't necessarily a surprise that he recruited me, uh, but maybe it was a surprise that I chose Purdue. Um, but I, I feel blessed every day that I did. Uh, you know, when it came down to it, I was being recruited uh, by a number of schools uh, in, in baseball, basketball, and football. And uh, and and the opportunity for for a kid from out west to come to the Big Ten and play football, I just couldn't turn that down. And that uh, it seemed like the right thing at the time. And 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 again, very very blessed I made that choice. If if I'm not mistaken, I believe you are the only player football Purdue football player ever to be from the state of Montana. You probably know better than I. I, I, I think I would know anybody else if 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 that were the case. So I, I do know we had actually a puncher that followed me. Aaron Levin was from Casper, Wyoming, uh, and I know we've had a couple from from Idaho and 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 uh, maybe even one of the Dakotas. But yeah, I, I can't recall one from Montana. And I'm I'm guessing the uh, another draw to Purdue had to be that the basketball on grass style offense. Being a kicker, you knew they're going to put up a lot of points. Yeah, it seemed, uh, you know, it seemed like that at the time. You know, my recruiting year was Coach Tiller's first year when they they had a really nice run 
uh, beat Notre Dame, went to the Alamo Bowl and, and beat Oklahoma State. And, uh, and that was really sort of everybody's introduction to Purdue under Coach Tiller. And, uh, and I was excited to come into the next recruiting class. And we, of course, had some success that, that first year and beat Kansas State in our second trip to the Alamo Bowl. So, uh, and then everybody, of course, knows, knows about the Rose Bowl two years later with Drew and that class. So, yeah, just a really nice time to be at Purdue. Uh, it was a fun four years for me, you know, overlapping with guys like Drew and Matt Light and Chuck Yacobi, uh, Aiken Adele, uh, and then, you know, some of the younger guys who came in in the classes below me, Stu Schweiger, John Standifert, you know, those guys. And then just some some really, uh, really – big names that people recognize when they think about Purdue football, that, that late nineties to, to mid 2000 stretch. So when, when you were coming to Purdue or getting recruited by Purdue, did you think you would have an opportunity to both do both be a kicker and a punter, or was there one that you thought you might get more, uh, more time at than the other? You know, I don't think I knew right away. And I don't think the coaches knew right away. They, um, they knew I was raw. I knew I was raw. I had never really focused on, on either of the positions. I'd sort of just, just been an athlete who did them. Um, so coming into that first training camp as a freshman, um, you know, there was a lot of skill yet to be developed. They knew my ceiling was high, but the consistency wasn't always there. Um, and, uh, they just kind of threw me out there and said, let's see what sticks. And, and as a freshman, uh, you know, they got on the field as a, as a place kicker, freshman and sophomore, we had, um, you know, we had, uh, Danny that was punting for us and, uh, and he was two years ahead of me. So he handled those duties for the first two years. And then, uh, you know, Scott Kurz and I, uh, handle them the next the next couple of years, my junior and senior year. Did you have? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was say, were you recruited for any other positions like outside of Purdue um, for football? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was being recruited as a wide receiver to to some universities. Actually, University of Colorado comes to mind. Um, I, I I didn't have blazing speed by any means. I was a possession type receiver. You think in the mold of like a Chris Daniels at Purdue. Um, so yeah, I had some opportunities there, but not at schools that would, I, that I considered, you know, as, as big time as, as Purdue or the big 10. Um, and then of course, some of the hometown schools, Montana state and Montana were recruiting me sort of all over the map in, in every different sport. So, you know, I sort of just had a decision to make whether I wanted to try and go be a smaller fish in a big pond initially, uh, or be a big fish in a small pond. And I, I again, I think it worked out beautifully. Did you have the same special team coordinator all throughout your four years at Purdue? I did. It was Scott Downing, uh, and Scott came to Purdue uh, with Joe Tiller from Wyoming. Uh, Scott later went on to to Nebraska, and and uh, I can't even remember all the schools he went to. I think he ended his coaching career at Liberty, and now he's in uh, college administration. So yeah, he was with us all four years at Purdue, and and really became for me being so far from home, uh, you know, a, a trusted mentor, or kind of a father figure, uh, and I got to you know feel like I was watch his kids grow up, be part of his family. And, and he was just always a really strong uh, influence on me. He was a great coach. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Cause I think coach Jeff Brahms going on his fourth special teams coordinator already. So I keep waiting for my phone to ring, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think they got a good one now and uh, you know, they've had some good ones in the past too, that yep. have left for one reason or another, but uh, yeah, consistency, I think is the name of the game, especially with specialists. Uh, you want to build that, that trust and rapport and you want to kind of have one system that you're building from. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully this is the time and uh, hopefully they get to play ball soon. So we'll see. Yeah, looking at your freshman year in, in 1998, you guys had a really good season. Like you already hit on, you went nine and four. It took down a number four ranked Kansas state Wildcats in the Alamo bowl kind of Drew Brees, Hello world. I guess that's uh, the whole nation outside of big 10 country with uh, that touchdown pass to Isaac Jones there. Um, you had, you had a pretty good season as a freshman 
48 for 50 on extra points and 16 for 22 on field goals. Does any uh, particular game or moment stick out from your freshman year? Yeah, you know, it's, it's such a blur as a freshman. You're kind of wide-eyed. A couple of moments that stick out to me is obviously the the, the opener, my first time out there um, as, a, as a college athlete, my first extra point at USC. Uh, it's, it's 196 degrees on the field. <laughs> and uh, and I adjusted enough to get it up over the line and, and, and through the uprights. And I think, you know, from there, I sort of felt like, okay, the nerves are gone. I can do this. I can play at this level. And, and you know, and we move forward from there. The second, the second thing that sticks out to me is, is sort of that same, uh, you know, do I belong sort of a feeling at Notre Dame when you walk into the stadium and, you know, you look around and it's, it's touchdown Jesus and it's Notre Dame, it's the golden dome. And, um, and that was just, that was kind of my breakout game actually as a freshman. I, I think I had three field goals that game and a, a career long of 47. Um, we didn't end up winning up there, but, uh, but, but kept us in the game till late. And, and that was another moment of affirmation where I said, okay, I think I can do this. And then, of course, we launched into the Big Ten season and had a had a strong finish that year. And then going to in the 1999, expectations were a little higher going into that year. You guys end up seven and five. Uh, you still had a strong season. Went uh, 38 for 39 extra points, 18 for 31 for field goals. Uh, you also were one for one passing the ball, four yards and a touchdown. Who'd you throw that touchdown to? That was uh, that was an interesting play. It was Chris Randolph that caught the touchdown, and uh, you know this is something that you practice maybe once, like on a Friday in a walkthrough, where you know the field goal gets blocked, our tight ends hear the double thud, the kick, the block, um, and they're taught to release down the field and then get to the get to the corner. And uh, Chris Randolph did it beautifully. We got lucky in the sense that the block you know bounced straight up, and I was able to kind of just turn 180 degrees and grab it, and then look over my shoulder, and I found Chris. Uh, working towards the left, the left corner pylon, and uh, I just put it right out there for him. Kind of took me back to the high school days. Um, and as I'm throwing it, I got I got smeared, and uh, you know the rest is history. He caught it and scored. And then at that time, um, he I think he jumped into the end zone or did some celebrating or something. So we got a penalty, and actually I had to kick then a 35 yard extra point. I think after sustaining my first concussion. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but made the extra point. Yeah, that was a fun night down there in Orlando. And, you know, fun with all the hype that we came into the game, you know, Dante Culpepper and Drew Brees. And um, we ended up just kind of putting a whooping on him. It was a nice night. So, Yeah, looking back, that was a fun home-and-home home series for you guys. Yeah, it was. It was. And, of course, you know, Dante was a great player. Didn't necessarily have the talent at UCF then that they do now. Uh, but that, that was a fun experience for us. And, and it's always nice in the non-conference to – uh, you know, to get a team like that where there's a little bit of you know intersectionality in the in the rivalry, and it's not necessarily just a, just a MAC team. Not that MAC teams, you know, they've they've come in and upset us before at Purdue, so you know they're strong as well. But it's nice to nice nice to mix it up and and uh, and do that. Yeah, it's nice nice to hear you uh, ex players say that because I know a lot of people are ripping Purdue's current schedule. This this, this year they were supposed to play, of course, a uh, host Memphis, who is coming off a miraculous season. Air Force, another strong program, and go to Boston College. But I think that's fun as a from a fan standpoint. Yeah, they really are. I think you know, as a fan and and as a player, especially when you get those home and homes and you get to you get to host them and then go to their place and, and see different parts of the country. You know, I, I I was blessed that I came from a you know a family who traveled a lot. So for me, it wasn't eye opening. But I recall having teammates that when we got on that plane for for the game at USC, it was like the first time they'd ever been on an airplane, wow. you know, or first time they'd been west of the Mississippi. So. 
I think there's something to be said for the experience of college sports. And of course we did that in baseball too, traveling all over the country uh, to play teams. So I, I think there's a lot to be gained sort of off the field, just as a, as a person and as a growing, growing adult as well. Also in 1999, uh, you guys finished kind of on a sour note in the Outback Bowl against Georgia, You're up 25 to zero at one point, ended up losing 28 to 25 in overtime. I know that wasn't one of your better games of your career. Um, just, just what was going through your mind after that game? I guess. Yeah, let's talk about 2000. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we, look, if you're an athlete and you and you do it long enough, you're going to have a day like that, and that was my day. Um, Missed three field goals, uh, missed an extra point. Uh, and, and on top of all of that, I feel like our offense was humming in the first half. As you mentioned, we're up huge at halftime and we're, you know, we're coming out with a lot of confidence. And then, you know, then Georgia sort of finds a way to, to find some seams in our defense and they start scoring and it gets close late. And I wasn't able to, you know, to come up, come up clutch when the team needed me. So definitely a game that uh, if I could have it back, I'd, I'd take it back and, and take a do over. But you know, again, you, you do it long enough. And, you know, I look back at some of the great moments someone like Drew Brees had, and, and even he had, you know, a four interception game. Uh, I think we won that game. I think it was Ohio State in the Rose Bowl year. But, um, you know, you, you, you just you can't predict those. You work hard enough when you're when you're training and, and practicing that you hope they don't happen often because you're going to be out of a job. But, um, you know, I was fortunate in a situation that my, my coaches and my teammates kept faith in me. And then the next year we come back and we bounced back collectively and, and had a big year. Yeah. I know one thing you kind of hit on this in the uh, big 10 elite program that was on the uh, big 10 network featuring uh, the, the Rose Bowl team you were on the 2000 team. Uh, you talked about a lot of backlash you got from the fans in that off season after that. How back. Can you uh, speak on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it was a tough offseason, and, and rightfully so. I mean, I, I think you you walk a fine line when you're an athlete in college because you're, you're still sort of an adolescent. You're still an amateur uh, as an athlete, um, but you're also out there representing your university, and it's a big-money sport, and, uh, of course, the fans are passionate about everything, and especially as we started to get better and had the expectation uh, to be winning regularly. Uh, you know, the fans the fans got on me that offseason, and, and, you know, I don't necessarily blame them, but, but there were some things – uh, they crossed the line. There was, you know, you know, some people talking about my family. There were some death threats that came in, um, you know, but I think ultimately that that sort of steeled me. Ultimately, that that gave me the little chip on my shoulder that maybe I needed at the time, uh, that kind of me against the world outlook. And, uh, you know, my teammates rallied around me the subsequent year, the Rose Bowl year, and then definitely my senior year um, as, as we became sort of we transitioned to then becoming a really young team. And I was actually one of the senior leaders on that on that 2001 team. Um, you know, but I think one of the moments that really got me is uh, when when we when we walked into Mackey Arena uh, for the end of season awards. And of course, they, you know, they announce everybody at halftime of a basketball game that got either an All-American or an academic All-American or some sort of recognition from the Big Ten. And and I was uh, I think I was uh, either all big Ten, academic all Big Ten or academic All-American that year and walk in and they announced it and the crowds, you know, booing. And, and that sort of got to me, I think. And I, I was standing there with Morgan Burke and I was shaking. He was congratulating me for the award at the same time the crowd was booing me. And, and, and he just kind of leaned over and whispered into my ear. He says, prove him wrong. And that was a, a really like seminal moment for me um, as a young person. And of course, you know, the late Morgan Burke now, it's, it's sad to say that, that Morgan and Joe are gone, but, but these are the types of guys that Purdue has hired that have changed a lot of lives and, and were definitely influential in my life. And, you know, father figure type people that, that really helped me go from an 18 year old wide eyed kid from Montana to, you know, a mature, a mature man when I left. 
So I can definitely tell you had a good relationship with both of those guys. Yeah, I did. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always, you know, Cheerios and sunshine, but you don't expect that with a coach, uh, you know? And I think, um, yeah, they were just always on my side. And I knew that even when they were kind of riding me, even when they were challenging me to be better, they were always on my side and that clearly came through. And, and, you know, one of the things that I, I know and love about Morgan is that from, from Drew Brees, from the number one player in the football team to, you know, the number seven golfer or cross country runner or, or whatever, in what you might you know think of as the least popular sport at Purdue, he knew everybody's name. He knew everybody's story. He took the time to talk to everybody after practice and competitions. And I think that speaks a lot to the family that is Purdue athletics. That was something that us, Tanner and I, both not being not even close to being college athletes, we had no idea about any of that with Morgan. And when when he passed away, unfortunately, those types of stories came out. And it was really it was really cool to hear from your guys' perspective. Yeah, he was always there. I mean, people I think you know accused him of being a fan, but why why wouldn't you want your athletic director to be a fan, right? And I think yeah. you know he approached the athletic director position maybe with a different lens than, than most athletic directors do today. But, but the landscape today is different than it was when Morgan was hired. And, and I think he really, I think he really set the table for someone like a Mike Bobinski to come in and be really successful. So, you know, hopefully that's the case. We feel like we're on the right trajectory now. And um, once we get through COVID, you know, we'll be ready to see the, the fruits of that labor start to come to fruition. What kind of advice would you give to an athlete or in particular, a specialist uh, that might be struggling a little bit and is getting some fan backlash nowadays on through social media, something that wasn't around when, when you were in college. Yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm really glad there wasn't a Twitter back then. I, I probably wouldn't have been mature enough to bite my, bite my lip on that, but it's tough. It really is. And I think, you know, some coaches and, and universities have approached it uh, by, by not having their athletes be active on social media. But I think we're in an age now of athlete activism in a number of you know realms, whether it be uh, athletics or political or, or socio, whatever, whatever it is. So I, I think it's tough. I think you have to I, I think the advice I would give back to your original question was sleep on it. <laughs> you know, if if someone says something, don't don't react out of emotion. Uh, don't react uh, because you have to get the last word. But if you feel the need after you've slept on it, come up with something that's uh, intelligible and, uh, and, and, you know, sort of on target with a response. Yeah. Very well said. Social media can be a evil, evil thing. That's for sure. Um, and then we're heading into the, your 2000 season, your junior year, which ends up being a very special season for the team. Uh, you guys went eight and four big 10 champions. First time since 1966. I want to, I want to say first Rose Bowl appearance since 1966. You were 45 for 47 for extra points, 12 for 17 for field goals for 81 points. You also got your first uh, punting action at Purdue, 13 punts for 652 yards. Interesting thing about this season, you guys had sky-high expectations. I mean, Drew's a senior. A lot of the offense linemen are seniors. You got a really talented defense. Uh, you're, you're more experienced at this time. You guys start off 3-2. and two with close losses at Notre Dame by score 23-21 and at Penn State by score 22-20. One thing I wanted to ask you about the Notre Dame game, and this was all you also touched on this on the uh, Big Ten Elite doc- documentary, was the fake punt play <clears throat> that you said was you guys installed a go route during that week and you and Vinny weren't on the same page, but Coach Tiller said nobody on the kicking team had any 
any knowledge that was going on. I just kind of wanted what was going through your head there. Yeah, it was something we had we had definitely practiced that week. It was it was installed, but I think looking back on it, that you know that wasn't the right time for it. They they sort of gave me the freedom to alert Vinny if I saw what we had seen in film, and that was the the guy that was covering Vinny, our gunner. He was bailing and turning his back early, and we thought it would be an easy um, connection. We're down there deep in our own territory. I think the ball was like at our own fifteen or twenty. The crowd behind us was loud. Vinny obviously had no idea that I had tried to communicate with him on this play and he was off and running like he was going to go cover the punt. So, you know, when I, when I threw it out there, laid it out there, it it looked just super awkward because he didn't know it was coming and, and nobody else had, had heard anything I said. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that one's on me. Um, you know, again, one of those moments, if you could have it back, you take it back, but also if it works, you know, it's a very, it's a very different story. And people are talking about how gutsy coach Tiller is because he called a fake punt from the 20. So absolutely. Um, you know, these things sometimes make you look like a genius and sometimes they make you look like a fool. And um, that was that was the latter for sure. But, um, you know, I think I think I don't I don't take it back at all. And then you guys lose to a Penn State team that was, I would say, pretty average that year. But like Coach Tiller mentioned, they were coming off one of their players, uh, I believe, was uh, paralyzed or partially paralyzed. And then he came walking out with the team. So that had to be such a raucous environment. Not that Beaver Stadium isn't already that particular day yeah that was sort of one of those written in the stars type days it was almost like purdue ohio state a couple years ago you know when tyler was on the field Mm -hmm. it was like well how how are we going to do this um but then again i mean you got to play the game and and they still had to come out and play and they were a good team and so were we um as you mentioned it's always a tough environment you know people ask me all the time what's your favorite stadium that you played in in the big 10 and they i think expect you to say like the big house in michigan Mm -hmm. uh but to me it's either camp randall uh, or, or, or Beaver Stadium. I mean, those, those are the two where the ground shakes, uh, at least for me as a kicker, when, you know, when you're out there trying to, trying to tie a <laughs> game late, you know, they got that, that big erector set there at Penn State, and those, those pylons are driven into the bedrock, and when they get rocking, uh, it feels like a, you know, a 7.5 earthquake. So um, if I recall that game, you know, I had a chance. Uh, I had a chance late. I think we were down maybe nine uh, to kick a field goal and get us within a touchdown, maybe mid mid to late fourth quarter, uh, and wasn't able to connect on that field goal. So that was obviously a deflating moment, but but also I think that was really a turning point. And, and that game as well is where we had some severe breakdowns on our punt team, and we didn't even get punts blocked. Like we like I got tackled on, on punts because I, I couldn't even get the ball to my foot. So um, that was a bad day for our special teams, and and really a point where we had to look in the mirror and say, what are we doing? Like we're, we're the weak link right now. And if we're going to get to our goals, which is a big 10 championship in a Rose bowl, it turns around now. Um, and we had that conversation, I think post game in the locker room with, with Drew and the offense and the coaches. And it was really sort of a collective. We got to turn it around tonight. And, uh, and we came out strong in, in big 10 play after that. And we're able to secure, I think we went on a winning streak then until that loss up at Michigan state later in the year. So of course, the magic October where we where we string off wins against Michigan and, and Northwestern and Ohio State. Um, kind of a magical year. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I wanted to get in right into that Michigan game. You said you guys kind of had a coming to moment, drew the offense, coaches, everybody kind of come came together. But then you guys find yourselves down 28 to 10 at halftime to Michigan. What 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 was the mood at halftime? I mean, was everybody still cool, calm, and collected, or was there any panic, or somebody step up and give a motivating speech, or or what what was the catalyst to turn things around? 
I, I don't recall any any speeches. What I do recall, oddly enough, is that we had an air of confidence about us, even being behind 28 men, that we sort of, it, it was almost like we knew we were going to win. And that was an odd feeling to have. Uh, you know, Michigan, I think they were ranked sixth or something at the time. Um, and they had come. And I think it was a very sort of slow possession game. I think they only had four possessions and they scored all four. I think they were ahead, you know, 28 points on four possessions. So we, we must have been out of our mind to think that we were going to turn it around and win. But I, I do recall our offense being very calm and Coach Cheney, you know, coming in and, and being very calm as he talked to our offensive line and talked to our skill players and said, look, here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to dissect what they're doing defensively. And they had a very clear plan. Um, we, of course, needed our, our special teams to step up uh, in the end, which we were able to fortunately do. Um, and the defense, you know, played huge and, and made some stops there, especially after the missed field goal, you know, with, with a few minutes left, three minutes left or whatever it was in the fourth quarter, our defense had to get a four and out and did. And then Vinny gets the punt return, needed a big punt return, got it, put us right back in position. So, yeah, it's, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a surreal feeling in the locker room. And then also there in the second half, like, Hey, things are going against us. They're not all falling our way, but we're going to, we're going to pull this out. And we did. Would you say that 33 yard game winner against Michigan to win 32, 31, was that your most memorable kick at Purdue? At the time, for sure. I think, Ultimately, as I look back on it now, I think the kick my senior year in Minnesota uh, as time expired, just because of the, I mean, there's no way that can happen, right? With the ball in our two yard line and whatever, 14 seconds to go, uh, there's there's no way that should happen. And, and if it doesn't, we don't go to a bowl game that year. You know, we have a young team and I think we finished six and five that year, if I recall. So we would mm -hmm. have been five and six had we not come out with that victory. Um, so that's the one I think just sort of from the pure joy of it. Uh, Michigan was almost more like relief, uh, you know, but, but yeah, the pure joy of that kick at the Metrodome and kind of stealing one that we really maybe shouldn't have won was, was maybe the most memorable. I, I know going back to that Michigan kick real quick. I know on that documentary uh, when you were lining up for that 33 yard or after you had just previously missed about two minutes before that, a kick darn near in the same position, you kind of said you knew this was a make or break kick for your career probably. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, given what had happened the week earlier at Penn State with our punt unit, um, and then you come into this game, if I had missed two field goals in the last two minutes and, and we had lost that game, uh, you know, maybe there maybe there's changes coming down the pike or, or for sure uh, we're in a battle for that position, you know, the next week in practice. And uh, and that would have been a tough – that would have been a tough road to hoe. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think as athletes you always have moments where you're like, okay, this is, this is a defining moment, and that was one of them. And actually – you know, I missed the first kick and then we come, we, we come to the sidelines. I, I wish I hadn't had to come to the sidelines, but um, you know, came over and I, I was actually standing um, right next to coach Tiller. And on the other side of me was coach Downing, our special teams coach. And, uh, and Drew was there until we got the, you know, until the defense got the ball back for him and we were, all, nobody talked, nobody said anything. It was kind of weird. Um, and it was almost like they knew I needed my own headspace, And I knew that they didn't want me to talk to him. And we we're all just standing there. And, and normally before a field goal, I would go and I'd, I'd warm up in the net and get two or three kicks into the net and then jog out on the field. But, you know, one of the things that I felt on that first kick was a sense of adrenaline and I was a little fast through the ball, which is why I pulled it left. So I said, you know what, I, I almost want to keep myself cold, not warm up, because then that'll sort of maybe, I don't know, I'm doing the calculus in my head. That might <laughs> affect, you know, some of, the, some of the adrenaline I'll be feeling if I get another shot. So I just stood there and I didn't warm up. 
And again, we get the punt return. We get the, you know, Drew gets us back down into range and, and, and we make it. So uh, it worked out. It was a good day for the Boilermakers. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of three field rushings at Ross State Stadium, which is still the most ever to happen in a single season. Um, that, that will be broken. I don't know. That would be yeah. pretty tough, especially with the new conference rule of finding schools when they rush the field. But anyways, uh, what was it like playing in Pasadena? You know, I wish I could have taken more in. I think as an athlete, you don't you don't maybe have the awe or the respect for it that you that you otherwise would because you're very focused on your job. Uh, the week, the experience, you know, flying out there on Christmas Day and um, you know having the holidays out there with your family, and then of course getting to be in the in the granddaddy and, and playing on that field that's like a putting green, um, and just the stadium and the San Gabriel Mountains right there. It's just it's it's iconic. So. Yeah, great experience. Um, I, I haven't yet, however, 20 years later, I haven't yet watched the game. I probably should pop it in and just kind of watch it for the experience of that. But, um, yeah, it's something I'll always be able to tell my kids about and 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 be proud of that we were the Big Ten champs that year and got to go play in Pasadena. What was the mindset going into 2001 now that you're being the hunted instead of the hunter in the Big Ten? Yeah, you know, I – Kind of, yes, but kind of no, because Drew graduates. Almost our whole offensive line is gone. Uh, we're starting a freshman quarterback, freshman in the secondary, freshman receivers. Uh, and then we had an old washed-up puncher and kicker. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, was kind of the, I was kind of the daddy of the team that year. Me and, me and Aiken uh, were kind of the two guys that had been around forever. And, uh, and Kelly Kitchell, who you guys know, uh, mm -hmm. had been around forever. So, yeah, I mean, there was there was some there was some impetus uh, on the part of the seniors to really kind of bring those freshmen up because we knew they had, gosh, a lot of talent. Uh, we just had to kind of get them going and get them get them in the right spots and and see where the chips fell. And um, we also had you know some some tough losses that year, uh, but also some great wins that maybe we shouldn't have. So I think we we probably cobbled together the best record we could that year in 2001, and we're fortunate to get a a Sun Bowl bid and uh, had a great time out there. And that was. I think a nice legacy for our senior class who, um, you know, who maybe wasn't as heralded as, as, as Drew and those seniors. Now, the interesting thing is when Drew and that senior class came in, you know, nobody gave them any, any props, uh, but they ultimately became a great class. Um, and, and ours, um, actually, they, they gave a lot of, um, a lot of national press too. And, and, you know, we had some folks that, uh, that didn't either show up or, or kind of fizzled out or, or their jobs were taken. So, you know, we kind of ended up as a transition class between between that Rose Bowl team and then what would come, uh, you know, kind of the Kyle Orton, Stu Schweiger years where, where they were good again in 2003 and four. And individually yourself, you had a great year that year. You end up winning the Ray Guy Award, which goes to the best punter in the nation. 53 punts for 2,567 yards with a 48.1 average. And you had 22 of 27 field goals for 86 points, 20 for 25 extra points. So kept off your Purdue career probably just, just like you wanted to. Yeah, it was a really good year. You know, it was, it was an even better year until we had that last game um, at Indiana. Well, it wasn't the last game because Notre Dame got moved because of 9-11 that year. But what should have been our last game was down in Indiana. And what I think a lot of people don't remember is it was an absolute monsoon. And that was back when they still had grass. And and the way their stadium is set up for the folks that know, you know, Memorial Memorial Stadium down there in, in Bloomington, the water is just like trickling down and, and running onto the field and then running right in the middle of the field. It was like a bowl. And I recall kicking a field goal out there uh, where where Ben Smith, my holder, literally had to like brush water out of a hole and then get to the ball. And as the ball's coming and he's putting it down, the water's like rolling right back into the hole. Um, it was right before halftime, I think. So 
you know, I missed I missed a field goal in that game, and and I think only averaged you know like thirty some yards punting, so that brought my average down. Uh, you know, up until then, I had been uh, just ahead of the Big Ten uh, single season single season record, uh, but ended up just below it. So, no regrets. Uh, you know, you play ball in the Big Ten, you're going to get some of those days, but uh, you know, we go down there and lose to Indiana. That's always a hard feeling uh, for a senior class. Uh, but then we were able to come back, come back up against Notre Dame, and, and I had a big day that day with four field goals to set the Big Ten record at the time. Um, so yeah, a good close to the year, and 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 proud of myself, I guess, because um, you know, really a nice job of proving the naysayers wrong, but also helping carry a young team who really needed a boost on special teams. You know, we had a lot of a lot of three and outs in our own in our own red zone. And we needed to turn that field over and give our defense a shot. And I was able in a lot of cases to do that. Um, and then, you know, need, need points, right? You can't, you can't get down to the 30 or the 20 yard line and not come away with points with a, with a freshman quarterback and a young offense. So to be able to deliver on that was, you know, I guess, I guess we needed it that year and I was able to, to do that. What was it like going through a quarterback change during the year, during the season for the first time throughout your uh, Purdue career to that point? Well, you know, I think, when you're, when you're on a team, assuming you're not picking sides, you know, assuming you're not sure. buddy, buddy with, with one or, or the other quarterback, you, you try not to let that affect you. You try to just sort of have your blinders on and say, look, the coaches, the coaches got our back. We're going to support whoever's out there. Uh, and of course, you know, we did make that transition. Um, and, uh, you know, we, there's not much you can do about it, whether, whether it's the kicker or the punter, or the quarterback, whoever it is, you got to support the guy that's out there and, and you would hope, the guy that got replaced supports that guy, that, that guy as well. So, you know, I think, I think that year we were all sort of trying to feel our way out and figure out how we were going to gel as a team. And ultimately uh, we, we did enough to get, to get that bowl streak extended. Yeah. It started out four and oh, and then like you said, had a couple tough close losses. Uh, could you tell even as a true freshman that Kyle Orton was going to be a pretty special quarterback at Purdue? Well, sure. I mean, I think, you know, you, you watch his recruiting video or you watch him in, in fall training camp and you know, the kid's got talent. At the same time, there's a lot of quarterbacks that have talent that maybe don't find their way onto the field as soon as they should because they they haven't learned the system or you know they're not necessarily uh, you know leaders or whatever it might be whatever the coach decides. With Kyle, you knew he kind of had it all. It was just a matter of time before it clicked for him. Um, he also maybe needed needed an opportunity. You know, he needed the guy in front of him maybe to not play well, and um, so he he got his moment. And and I think uh, you know he he ended up having a great career, obviously at Purdue, becoming a member of the cradle. And, uh, and and starting for those next three years then. Uh, before we get into talking about your post-Purdue uh, football career, uh, you also played baseball at Purdue. Um, how, how many years did you play baseball at Purdue? How many seasons, I guess I should say? Yeah, I played in the spring and uh, of my freshman and sophomore year. Um, I was planning also to play my junior year, but at that, that point in time, it was the offseason coming off the Outback Bowl. Um, the optics of that wouldn't have been great, I think. Uh, and I really wanted to, I really wanted to prove people wrong. I really carried that chip on my shoulder and coming back into then, you know, my, my junior season, the, the Rose Bowl year, I kind of wanted to just focus in spring ball and really show my teammates and, and my coaches and the football community that I was all in, that I was invested and I wasn't off doing something else. Uh, there was always an option then to come back and play baseball my senior year or even my fifth year then if I, if I had not had the opportunity to go, go play football professionally. Um, so, you know, I didn't think of that as, as walking away necessarily. I thought of it as a break, a chance to sort of reset, refocus. Uh, but I ended up then of course, having a, a, you know, a couple of, a couple of nice years building into my, my senior year and, and saw the writing on the wall that there would be a professional opportunity there. So 
so didn't go back to baseball. Um, it's not a regret. I, I wish I could have had more time playing baseball, but I think I, I handled it the right way and the most mature way that I could have. Uh, but I loved playing for Coach Schreiber. I loved my teammates. I lived I lived with the baseball guys okay. uh, off campus. Matt Skripsky, one of our pitchers, and Dave Blomberg, our, our starting second baseman and Big Ten guy, all Big Ten guy. Um, and so, like mentally, socially, emotionally, I was I was more of a baseball guy than a football guy. I I, I fit more with with that team. Um, but football was paying the bills, and uh, and I needed to be there. So so yeah, I just played the first two years. But um, as you mentioned at the top, you know, was was fortunate enough as a starting pitcher. I think I had four or five wins as a pitcher, um, some relief appearances. I got some time at first base. I uh, hit a home run at IU, which was nice. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good experience. I wish there could have been more, but um, you know, to be a, to be a two sport athlete in college is, is a dream. So absolutely. Definitely at the big 10 level. That's uh, really impressive. Uh, after your Purdue playing days, you were uh, selected. You kind of just mentioned uh, in the, during your pro career with a fourth round pick by the Cincinnati Bengals uh, pick number one Oh nine. What was that day like? And, and do you remember that phone call? That was an odd day. I do remember the phone call, <laughs> um, you, you know, in the, in the lead up to, to the combine and the draft, you meet with a lot of teams, you take visits to their facilities. Um, and I recall taking a number of visits and, and, and having interviews with maybe 31 out of 32 teams. The one team I didn't have an interview with or ever talk to or ever visit was the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> so, so when the call came, we were all surprised. Um, you know, my parents were there my girlfriend at the time was there and we're like the Bengals, you know, this is kind of out of nowhere. And I had also during that draft process indicated that I wanted to punt in the NFL, that I didn't want to be drafted as a place kicker. And so we get on the horn with Cincinnati and they say, you're going to be our starting kicker next year. <laughs> so, so not only was I surprised that it was Cincinnati, but I was surprised that they wanted me to, to kick. And I, I hadn't for the past three or four months been, been kicking much. I've been focusing on my punting and, uh, and preparing for that um, angle to, to move into the league. So, so there was a, a pivot that needed to take place before that mini camp. And, and ultimately then I go down there to Cincinnati and they had just drafted a kicker out of the big 10 the year before Neil Rackers out of Illinois um, and he was still on his rookie contract, so they weren't going to cut him. So they had two kickers now that they had drafted that they weren't going to cut. Um, so I was just active every week, but but Neil ended up having having a great start to the year. So they weren't going to you know they weren't going to replace him with me. So I I was active and just kind of standing on the sidelines waiting for somebody um, either to to get cut or to get hurt. And that was kind of an odd you know usually that doesn't happen in the NFL. They don't keep an extra kicker or punter. Uh, but uh, so that was kind of an odd season. And then the next year uh, they let me go and I was fortunate enough to land up in Green Bay uh, and take part in that playoff season. Uh, we were in Philadelphia uh, for that fourth and 26 play that they converted. Uh, Donovan McNabb converted to go you know, to the Super Bowl. Otherwise, uh, might have had a Super Bowl ring with the Packers there in 2004, I think. Um, so, yeah, bounced around a little bit and then, and then spent a little bit of time on the practice squad in Minnesota and ultimately finished um, – with uh, the New York Giants and then two years over in Europe with the Rhine fire in Dusseldorf, Germany. So, um, you know, enough, enough to get a taste of it, uh, enough to know that, uh, you know, that, it, that it's a, not, a nice lifestyle, but maybe it, not a lifestyle that fit me real well. Uh, but, but blessed to have had that opportunity. And, uh, you know, by being drafted, it, it was able to, uh, you know, set me and my family up financially a little bit, uh, or at least give us a head start in life and allow me to, go back to grad school and kind of pursue some things that I had always wanted to do. 
It, that, that's that's a great story and really cool that you got to uh, experience all that. And and I did see on the internet that you you still compete a little bit. You're now a triathlete, or at least were at one time. Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't done one in a, in a couple of years now because okay. I have kids, infants, and toddlers moving through that phase of life. But uh, yeah, I've done nine Ironman triathlons uh, all over the world from. Uh, from Germany to to Mexico, uh, across the United States. So, uh, yeah, Ironman, it's, it's funny, you know, most good stories start with a girl. This one does too. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when I came back to grad school at Purdue, I, I met Bree, who's now my wife, and uh, and she was a college runner at Northern Colorado, ran track and cross country. And uh, and she had herself gotten into triathlons and, and asked me to come train with her group one day. And of course, in, in all my confidence, I said, how hard could this be, right? <laughs> Sport college athlete, I'm a professional athlete. It's gonna be easy, um, and, and she she managed to whoop my butt in those first first few seasons because uh, I had never, you know, I was not a swimmer, I was not a biker, uh, and I definitely wasn't a runner, you know, long distance at least. Um, so she she whooped me up and got me in shape, and uh, and now we we love it. I mean, it's our way to stay competitive, keep that fire going, um, get out there and compete. And uh, even as an old man, last year. Uh, as a 40 year old, I was able to beat all the young bucks in one of our local, one of our local triathlons out here in Utah. So I'm, I'm still trying to hold on to that competitive fire, but, uh, it's, it's a losing battle. Father time's undefeated. <laughs> um, when you spent time over in Germany, I was actually looking at, I found your, your CV on online. Is that what I saw you had also, st- did you also study in Germany as well at some point? I didn't study over there. Um, I had a gap year between my master's and PhD. And at that time, my wife was doing a postdoctoral fellowship in Germany. Okay. Uh, she, we weren't married at the time. but uh, So I went over and spent uh, part of that year with her over there and worked for the university. Okay. Uh, it was kind of a gap year between my master's and PhD. So just a chance to kind of build out the resume and get some new experiences. And, you know, Germany is like a second home. My dad was My dad was born. Um, in Germany, and I still have family over there, so uh, chance to get back and, and experience that a little bit. So, were you a Bayern Munich fan before going over there, or are you, have you always been? Yeah, always. My dad, my dad, and his whole family are from Munich, so um, definitely a Bayern fan. Definitely enjoyed uh, the game this week, and yeah. it's nice to see Bayern back on top of world football. Absolutely. I got a couple more questions here, then we'll let you go. Uh, once again, we really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us this evening. Um, any good Drew Brees stories from your time at Purdue? Oh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Drew is such a, Drew is just such a, a classy guy and such a competitor. Um, he just doesn't like to lose whether you're like getting in the car after football practice and driving down, you know, to, to a steakhouse. He wants to be the first one there. Uh, <laughs> if you're playing ping pong to kill some time before practice, he wants to win, you know, 21, nothing. Um, he's, he's just that kind of guy. And I think he was such a good fit for Purdue because of that. He was a guy that people wrote off because of the knee injury in high school. Um, you know, and, and he was a guy that you knew loved you, but also wasn't afraid to get on you. Right. And, and there were some moments where he got on me because, um, you know, he felt, and he was right that in those moments, I wasn't living up to what I needed to do to help the team win. And, um, and, but he did it in a way that didn't degrade you. He did it in a way that sort of built you up. And I think it takes a strong leader to be able to do that. So I, I really love and respect Drew for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so many stories I could get into, I, you know, I don't need to get into the weeds on it, but uh, I'll save that for another day. But I think, you know, the one thing that, one thing that strikes me is he was just the right guy at the right time for the right university. And 
Um, and I think he knew that. And I think the university knew that. And it, it just it came together and happened how it was supposed to. Uh, besides Drew Brees, who was the best player you were uh, blessed to play with? So many, so many. And I think it, it depends on the position. I mean, I think about um, a guy like Matt Light, who just really always brought his lunch pail and his hard hat and was just always on. Never, he, no, no one ever made him look silly. You know, he was just always on point, always did the homework, uh, was always there physically. Um, the, the guy that had the most, that was just the biggest freak, you know, I'd ever seen athletically was, was definitely Aiken Adel. Um, you know, Aiken was a guy that wasn't able to qualify right away. So I had to go to Juco and then come back. And I think he also carried that chip on his shoulder from that experience. I love, I love watching all these guys grow up, by the way, grow up, meaning now as, as men, what they're doing in their lives. Aiken is just, he's blossomed into an, an awesome human and he's helping a lot of people. Um, and that's on top of what he did in college and professionally as an athlete. And I just truly respect him for that. And then, you know, one guy that I've brought up in past interviews um, is, is that maybe nobody else kind of thinks about because uh, he was just a slow white guy is, uh, is Chris Daniels. Um, you know, but, but Chris was a guy that always um, was there for the team when we needed him, that always just put his head down and went to work, that never complained after he had a game with zero catches and never boasted after his game with 21 catches. <laughs> um, he was just just a dude. He was just on the team, and he was happy to be there. And and I think back to him in like our 6 a.m. workouts, he was a guy that everybody looked to to kind of set the tone. Nobody wanted to be there. Nobody wanted to be running at 6 in the morning on a February day, throwing up in trash cans, having coaches yell at you. But he was always a guy that sort of set the tone for the younger kids uh, and did the work. And not only that, but you know the game we talked about earlier down in Tampa, his hometown, by the way, uh, in the Outback Bowl, um, he's playing in front of 100 friends and family, and I'm sure would have loved to have won that game. Um, but he was the first one to come up to me in the locker room after the game and put his arm around me and say, we love you, you got this, come back strong. Um, and and that, that meant a ton because he was a senior. That was his last game in his hometown, and he lost in a terrible way. Um, but he was just like the consummate teammate. So those three guys for three very different reasons, I think are three that stick out to me and and I could name 20 more, but, uh, but it was, it was just a, a wonderful family. So I'm guessing you still keep in touch with some of your uh, former teammates then. Yeah, I do. You know, not as many as I would like, uh, but Chris is one, uh, you know, his family and, and our family have watched each other grow up. He's been out to Utah and Montana to, to see us numerous times. We've, we've had him at our cabin. We've had him up at big sky at our, at our ski place up there and, and out to our house in Utah. And, uh, we'd love to get out to Ohio and see his hunting lodge. Uh, we've we've visited them down in in Tampa before, uh, but we we love uh, he and Christy and their and their beautiful kids. So, uh, um, so I'm kind of following what you're kind of doing now. I think it's pretty awesome stuff. Um, what kind of led you into wanting to really kind of dive into, you know, focusing on new sports and kind of the family aspect, and and as, as as you've gone through your career. Yeah, I mean, I sort of sort of fell into it. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I was a developmental psychology major uh, as an undergrad at Purdue. And obviously, as a student athlete, I mean, sports and psychology were two big, huge parts of, of who I was and, and what I was passionate about. So when my when my football playing days were coming to an end, um, I, I really felt like there was more in store for me educationally. Mm-hmm. And, and I, as I was thinking or reflecting on what would be a good sort of niche area to, to put myself or insert myself into those, the, the overlap of those two areas just felt right. And I had taken an undergrad sports psychology class from Al Smith at Purdue university. And Al ended up becoming my, 
um, master's and PhD mentor and, and, and is still a mentor and a great friend today. Um, Al's up at Michigan State now. But um, so I just I sort of on a lark kind of contacted him and said, hey, what would it take to to come back and start a master's with you? I'm kind of interested in this area. Um, and, and, you know, the rest the rest is history. So I was I was there for two years for my master's, took that gap year in Germany with Bree and then came back for for four years to do my PhD again with Al at Purdue. And, um, you know, I can't thank him enough for, th- for the trajectory that he allowed me to put myself on, uh, the, the mentorship, um, the challenges that he, that he put in front of me, knowing that I need to overcome those hurdles as an academic to really at a high level. And that's, I think, what it's all about. And, and those are the lessons as I reflect on my, on my athletic career. It's those lessons, right? The lessons of having a, a hard day and bouncing back, mm-hmm. the lessons of maybe feeling like an imposter, but pushing through nonetheless, um, you know, the lessons of doing something for your teammates because it's the right thing to do. All of those things that you learn in sports are the same lessons I use today in, in my professional career and the same things I use, you know, as a parent and as a husband. So um, that's what it's all about in sports is, you know, the Rose Bowls are nice. The rings are nice. The winning is nice, but those lessons are what carry us. And, and really it's, um, you know, it's fun. Like I mentioned just a minute ago, it's fun to get on Facebook now and see, the, the, the couple hundred teammates I had at Purdue and what they're doing and their families and how successful they're all being. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. And I think Purdue does it the right way in that regard. I, I got one more question before we let you go. And Evan knows this coming. It's, it's a, it's a corny question, but I ask everybody we've ever interviewed is a hot dog considered a sandwich. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I've had people say yes. Well, so. you know, so I mean, I, my dad. My dad's very literal. He's German, so he would he would probably define a sandwich as meat between two pieces of bread. Right. Yeah. So then the answer is yes, but we but then we would call it like a I don't know what we would call it, but we'd call it something besides a hot dog, right? Yeah. 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 I think it's a, it's a, in its own category. Yeah. So yeah, that's but. something I didn't learn doing my PhD, so I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's that's how we do it on the boiler breakdown. You never know what's coming, but uh, someone, from, someone from Frankfurt would probably know. You're right; they probably would, probably yeah. would. So, uh, a- anything you'd like to plug before we leave here? Uh, any handles that people can follow you on social media or anything? Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in my my personal life, uh, my kiddos, we we go skiing a lot. We have a lot of fun. They're into sports. Um, I'm at Big Sky Boiler. Um, that's my personal handle. And then my, my professional handle at the university where we put a lot of our research. We talk a lot about kind of the cultural aspects of, of youth sports and college sports. Um, that's at families in sport lab, all one word. So yeah, those are our two Twitter, Twitter handles. Um, otherwise just look me up and give me a call. We'd love to chat. There you have it folks. Thanks again, Travis. Really appreciate having you on the boiler breakdown. I uh, appreciate it, guys. I'm so sorry the football season is not happening as we all hope, but uh, let's keep our fingers crossed for the spring, and uh, we'll get back out there soon. Absolutely. Boiler up, hammer down.